How's everybody doing? You look good, and that's like literally half the battle most days. It's getting, getting ready, taking off. And I know this because something big happened, and I want to introduce you guys to somebody um, that you guys haven't got to meet yet. This is Mr. Camden Jude. that was born on October 14th. This precious little guy. It takes us a little bit longer to get ready, so I, I get like that part of it. This dude's handsome. I just want to hold him. Like, would you guys be weirded out if I like just held a baby? Have you ever seen that before? Like, you guys would be too distracted because he's too cute. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we're really excited. I'm excited to have my wife back here with us. We, she was still like trying to get her feet under her last weekend, and so it's uh, it's really good to. Um, for her to be back with us and have our little guy in the house. We're going to grow this church one way or another. And um, <laughs> we'd love to just invite you in that journey with us uh, to grow the church one way or another. And uh, we're just excited about what's happening here. And um, the, the next, um, to, for the next few minutes, I just want to share my heart on really just the mission of Fathom and really what that looks like. We've been going through this series called Release. And Ultimately, we've been looking at not only the things that God wants us to, uh, to release us from, but the things he wants to release us to. Uh, and, and we've spent probably half the time, or, or almost it feels like most of the time over the past month, um, just diving into what he wants to release us from. And so not just the things that God wants to release us from, but the things he wants to release us to. And so for the, like, we, we looked at like the releasing control, releasing fear, releasing these sins and these weights that we kind of carry that God hasn't called us to. And last week, Jesse just kind of left us with just an incredible spiritual moment of release and freedom and healing. It was just a really beautiful moment in the life of our church, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, and today, I, I guess I, I want to look more towards what, what is ahead in our lives, when, and really with a thought on releasing a generation, um, because God's birth is birthing something that um, Jesus kind of put it like this. He said, uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a, a single mustard seed that's planted in the ground. And when it grows, it lo- doesn't look like a whole lot. In fact, if you put it in your hands, you couldn't even see it. But when you place it in the ground, it grows faster and bigger than any of the other plants. This is not just talking about like mustards like we do here, and they're kind of small. This was like an ancient Far East kind of type of seed that grew up to be like huge, and it grew faster and stronger than really any of the other seeds at the time. And, and I believe that God is doing something that with the naked eye could seem like it's small, but I see it in individuals' lives. When God does something in one person's life, that's going to affect a lot of people around them and then a lot of people around them, and so that what he's doing in each one of us is affecting lots of people, and we don't even realize it. It's affecting our community, and we don't even realize it, and even people beyond this community that we're beginning to have an influence um, over people who are, are ch- planning churches, who are planning ministries, we're sending out missionaries, and it's some really exciting things that you can think about of what God's going to do across the earth through just some people that just humble themselves and say, God, will be used of you. And so I'm excited to just speak about releasing a generation. Uh, and, and some of you, I think we all kind of find ourselves caught in the middle sometimes. I, you know, you've been caught in the middle of two close friends kind of fighting or some family members. You've been caught in the middle of a storm. You know, you go out to get groceries, and then you hear like the rain just, 
and then you get caught in the, in the middle of that, and you got to get your groceries unloaded, and that's the day at Publix that you're usually like, no, I don't need any help. Like, yeah, I mean, I would love some help. Like an umbrella, if you'll take these out there, bring my car up, let's just do the whole bit <laughs> while, we're, while we're at it, get those things loaded. But we've been caught in the middle. Some of us have had to choose between the lesser of two evils. There's a big ethical top, uh, topical conversation right there. Maybe we had to choose between the greater of two passions, also a difficult decision between two good things, but which one is great? We've, had, we've been caught in the middle, and I kind of feel like in my own life we're like that. Because last week, of course, when the baby comes, like all the grandparents rush into town, and, and we're blessed. Like, Terrence's parents are amazing. I have a great relation, relationship with my in-laws. It doesn't fit the stereotypical mold that is kind of out there. We just have a great relationship. They're pastors uh, here in Florida. And uh, my folks are amazing. Great grandparents. They love, they love the little ones. And, uh, you know, but the thing about grandparents, they come in, and they're amazing, but when they leave, like, you got to fix your kids. <laughs> I mean, like, you, you got you to fix your kids. you got to tell them, like, look, man, throwing the ball up under the car is not a game. It's not a game. It's just stupid. Like, we're not going to do that. Throwing the ball into the road is not a game. It's stupid. One, either you're going to get hit by that car, or, or I'm going to hit you <laughs> one way or the other. The game is over. We're not playing. That's not a game anymore. And we got to tell them, you know, hey, doing flips for two hours like I know I look like ripped and chiseled Beckett but I'm I'm not I can't I can't flip you for two hours I can't do it my back won't allow me you gotta fix your kids <laughs> so just my folks being here I feel caught in the middle of, of not of kind of what my dad went through my dad was uh, a father of two boys and worked a demanding job had a life of ministry that he just served the Lord um, and and I see like what he went through like kind of like uh, juggling his demanding job and ministry and his family, and what he, how hard he worked to to provide for us and love us and disciple us and discipline us, some of the harder things in life. And I see what my mom went through as a, a mother of two boys, of trying to you know maintain her own personal identity within the identity of a family. And, and it, it, I just feel caught in the, in the middle a little bit of this kind of generation of me raising my children and what kind of thinking about what my parents went through. And the truth of the matter is that all of us are caught in the middle generationally, even generationally. Um, there's a generation before you and there's a generation that's come, coming behind you. And you may be younger in this room and you may just think everybody is older than you, but there's a whole generation. There's probably multiple generations actually beneath you in age, and, and, and then you may think you're on the, the older scale, but there's actually folks that are, that are older and, and that have gone through it, and there's a whole line of generations that God is going to use, and so I thought it's so appropriate that we're going to begin to look at a story today um, that, that's really going to unveil, I believe, God's heart to us, where, whatever generation you're in, um, to speak to us from Scripture, because here's the truth, whatever generation you come from, and I'm not going to ask you to to stand up and identify your age, because I know I'd, I'd be shot for that. Um, but uh, whatever generation you come from, we all share the same mission that Jesus gave us. There's not like a mission for each generation. There's, there's one single mission that Jesus gave us. I love that Jesus is a really simple dude, but a really deep dude. So I try to be like, be like that. I've always been like a pseudo-philosopher, but I've tried to make things really simple, simple and because I, I appreciate how Jesus put it simple, and he said, like, there's look, two commandments, everything else hangs on it. Love Lord your God uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second one is like it, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else kind of hangs on these two ideas, these two kind of commandments, um, and, and he just made it really simple when he gave the mission. He said, go and make disciples. 
disciples as a follower of Jesus. Go make people who understand that Jesus uh, is the way, the truth, the life, and he brings true meaning and purpose to this life because we've experienced that. He made it really simple. He said, go make disciples. So if beyond in all of our generations, we have the same mission, and Paul said that we're all these different parts, but we're one bodied, Christ being the head of the body. If this is true, then how come we can't seem to work together? How come, I think there's such kind of untapped potential in this room. And so many times when you'll hear a message about generation, you'll hear about generational tension but really, that's not really why I come today. I don't come to like rebuke and say, hey, we need to get together and like, you know, stop your arguing about styles of music, stop your arguing about petty things uh, and style and stuff. That's not what, why I'm coming today. I, I'm coming today to say there is untapped potential in you, no matter what age you are, to pour into the next generation and to honor the generation that's come before us. These two simple principles is to invest in the next generation, to honor previous generation. I think God's going to speak to us very deeply about this. So we're going to turn to a story, and and if I'm really honest, I hate it when God gives me like really big stories to cover in a really short amount of time. Um, Like a a little while back, he he had me do the whole book of Esther, and like that's really hard to do in like 30, 35 minutes. Um, And so today, he like like put the the gauntlet down again, and he's like, okay, we're not just going to look at one book, we're going to look at two books, because he wants me to, to kind of share these, this generational kind of journey of leadership that we see in the life of Saul and the life of David, and then uh, David's son named Absalom. So I want to dive into this story, and I'm going to be, because we would be here all day kind of reading through two full books, I'm going to be doing a lot of um, you know, just kind of paraphrasing through the story. Hopefully this will come to life. And I think you'll find this story extremely entertaining. Some of you, uh, if you, you've tried to, to read into the Old Testament much, uh, you'll realize sometimes you, you kind of pick the wrong spot to start, and it can feel like kind of weird and kind of tough to jump in. I always say, start at the beginning of the book, tell the whole story. And so that's what, what I'm going to do, is try to dive in, tell the whole story. So it kind of starts with God's relationship with his people, Israel, that he said, look, um, I want to be your God. Um, I, I want you to be my people. He's like, I chose you. I'm not, before rules and laws were in place, he's like, I chose you. He's like, I, I chose you. And so he chose them as his people. And he began, began to put not conditions on his love, but, um, but uh, signals of his love because he cared about them. He wanted to protect them. And so he put these rules and kind of laws in place. And, and we see at, at one point in their history, God is raising up a leader by the man uh, named Saul. And God wants to use Saul. He's like, look, I'm going to use you as a captain of the team, so to, be, so to speak. He's like, I need a leader here. And he's like, I believe that, that you're going to be anointed and blessed. And it's basically, as soon as God kind of put uh, you know, him as, as a captain, he was kind of doing okay. But the people of Israel kind of wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like all the other kingdoms around. And they wanted the monarchy. They wanted like Prince you know, William and Kate. They wanted, they wanted you know, Buckingham Palace. They wanted the big deal. They that was all before that. But they wanted a king, and they wanted a kingdom that they could physically touch and kind of take to and trust. But God was like, look, this is a thing of faith. Like, you're not going to be some democracy or a monarchy. You're going to be a theocracy in which you're led by me. And I'm going to put these men and women on earth to lead you, but you're going to be a theocracy. But they couldn't handle that, so they wanted a king on earth. And so they put Saul as their king. God's like, look, this is not how I want it to work. I want him to be a captain, but not a king. But they want it, so if, you know, if we keep kind of pushing, God's just like, well, 
have it your way. <laughs> have it your way. And so he lets them have it uh, their way. But as soon as Saul becomes their king, his heart turns cold. And he begins to dishonor God. He becomes to be disobedient to God. And begins to do his own thing. And I, I can just kind of get a picture of God scratching his head. I don't know that God has a physical head, but just scratching his head at this point, he's like, I wish I would have never done this. I mean, even scripture kind of, kind of, you know, unveils that God's heart was kind of grieved for even letting this happen because he began to be disobedient and his people were being strayed away. So this guy Saul um, is, is king, and then uh, the, the story just kind of continues like that until this guy David comes along, and then a very familiar story that I think we've all heard of, David and Goliath. There's this Philistine army who's just bad fighters. Like, they're like MMA style, like great fighters that um, Israel is kind of like, you know, butting heads with, and um, they, they come, they, and sometimes instead of like doing like big combat battles in which tens of thousands of people would die in one day, they would just send one person down from each clan, like the baddest dude in each clan, they'd fight, and whoever won that won the, the battle, so everybody didn't have to die. Seems like a good idea. Um, so they send this big giant down named Goliath. He's huge. He, there's a, I could preach a whole message on that, but he sends this giant down, and then here comes, nobody's willing to step up because they see how big this dude is from, from uh, afar, and, and this guy David comes walking up after no one else will step up, and, and they kind of want to turn him into something else, but he's just kind of Look, I'm me. I've been a shepherd boy. He's like the youngest in his family. Anybody the youngest in their family? Okay. He's the youngest in his family. And so if you and your, your uh, brothers and sisters, for all you um, youngest in the family, if you're all around, like who's going to like, no, 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 you're not going to have this fight. Like I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to have this fight. And so um, there was, I was watching this uh, MasterChef Juniors. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about? I, I never watched MasterChef, but I'm really into this MasterChef Juniors. It's like these 9 to 12, like 13-year-old kids who are like crazy good chefs. And there's this little 9-year-old girl in, in, the, in the kitchen with this 12-year-old boy. And this boy will not let her do anything. I mean, like she's a, a sweet little girl. I don't know if she can cook or not. I assume she's on the show. She can cook. He won't let her do anything because he's the oldest. So you can kind of imagine how this was going between David and, and his brothers. And so finally, David's willing to step up. He's not afraid of the giant. And so he has this great technology and this sling that really fires like a, a gun way before its time that, that, that seriously is powerful and as fast as, as a gun. He was extremely accurate. He'd been practicing in the fields to fight off um, you know, predators that were trying to take down his sheep. So he comes and he kills this giant, cuts off his head, holds it up. I'm like, what now? <laughs> kind of holds, holds it up and he's kind of um, begins to be celebrated. So Saul's the king and here comes this little whippersnapper shepherd boy that plays his guitar with probably his hippie hair and He's the youngest of his family, and, he, uh, and now he's being celebrated. They're singing these songs like, um, I, I won't sing it, um, but it, it's like Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. So they're beginning to celebrate, and as soon as Saul hears this, he's like, no, 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 no. He gets mad. He gets extremely upset. We're like, no, we're not going to be like celebrating this dude. He's like, I'm in charge. I'm the king. He's a, he's a prideful king. He's a prideful king. So David begins to gain an influence, but Saul is not happy about it. So if Saul wasn't angry enough, David ends up marrying his daughter. <laughs> so now it's his father-in-law. And you guys ever marry into a situation where you feel like you lost before you ever got into it? Like they just would, they wouldn't even give you a chance. Like I think that was how David was. His, 
his father-in-law was already upset with him before he even got started. And so as if that wasn't enough, Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes David's best friend. And he like worships David. Like He says, I love you as much as I love myself. He's like, I'll do anything to take care of you. I don't care how mad my dad is at you. And so it gets, it gets worse before it gets better. David ends up going on the run because one day he's playing guitar and Saul throws a spear at his head. Like, can you imagine if you were just chilling, whatever your hobby is, maybe you're knitting or you're doing something else, you're playing your guitar, and someone that is against you is angry at you, or think about the president coming in and like throwing a spear at your head. Like that would be the craziest nightmare of all time. Because actually at the time, David was actually working for Saul. Saul was tormented by kind of evil spirits because of his disobedience to God. He was running from God. And he was disobedient. He had these, these evil spirits that torment, and, torment him. And the only thing that would calm him down and get him in just a, a, a frame of mind where he could lead the people was for David to come in, sit on his guitar, and just invite the presence of God in and worship. And so he, was, he, had, he had kind of served him in his palace as his son-in-law, even though he hated him. So finally, it gets so ugly after the spear incident, I think David just kind of takes his guitar. He's like, okay, I'm going to leave now. And he kind of creeps out and takes off running. And he runs for his life. And Saul pursues him for years. David ends up going even into the Philistine camp at one point just to run and like be safe into like an enemy territory. And, and actually, there's someone uh, that, that takes him kind of under his wing and kind of cares for him during a certain point of time. But there's this one story. I do want to jump into scripture here, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 24, and read the text. And there's one situation in which um, David's running. They're on this mountain. You've got to think early Middle Eastern kind of mountainous territory. So they're up on this mountain. David and them are on one side. This just kind of makes for a great movie. And Saul and them are up on the other side. And so they kind of hear that he's on the other side, and kind of, they're just kind of chasing each other around the thing, kind of like I do with my son around the car sometimes. So just chasing uh, around the mountain, and so he ends up uh, pursuing the Philistines, and then he comes back, and they're hiding in these caves on this mountain, in this kind of Middle Eastern, early Mediterranean society, and, and, and uh, <laughs> Scripture says that Saul goes in, and um, he has to relieve himself, um, so I'll let you kind of figure it out, um, but he goes in to relieve himself, and hiding in these caves, uh, David had about 600 men with him, Saul had like thousands of men with him, so they're far outnumbered, David, again, is in the minority. You know, he's again in um, the smaller group of people. He's got about 600 men with him. And they're kind of doing guerrilla warfare. That's like your best shot. You've probably seen this in, in a lot of military stuff, for those of you that are into it. Your best shot when you're outnumbered is guerrilla warfare. It's to kind of hide. And so they're hiding in these caves. And so he's got some men. Saul just so happens to come into the cave that David's in and to relieve himself. And David just goes up and he just cuts a little bit off his robe while he's doing his business. So he, he about had an Elvis moment, like he went out like in, you know, in style on the throne. Um, and so he comes up and he cuts a bit of his, his robe and uh, Saul ends up going out and this is where we pick up. David kind of follows him out and says, uh, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king. When Saul looked at him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. David bowed down, prostrated himself, face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. The, the Lord had kind of convicted him even about cutting the hem of his garment, even cutting his robe. God convicted him and says, don't touch people that I'm 
I'm using. He had anointed him, even though he was running from him. He did not want him to dishonor him. He was the king at the time. And so we see this incredible humility from David uh, to humble himself and go prostrate, like face to the ground. Like that's a lot of humility it took from a guy like you could have just took out and you're ticked out because he's thrown a spear at you and he's been pursuing you. You're running all over the place when you know that a prophet came to you at one point and laid his hand on you and said you're going to lead the people of Israel. God's blessed you. He's going to use you. There's a whole story in that we kind of flew through. But um, he's, he's here at this point and he humbles himself. And he goes prostrate, and he honors the man that's before him, that's come before him. And I think that's what needs to be spoken to us. So let me just wrap up the Saul and David in, first, in uh, Samuel chapter 1, or uh, uh, First Samuel, excuse me. Um, and, and basically after this, he goes away, and another time, Samuel is pursuing him. He's out in the middle of a field kind of camping out, and David comes up, and this time he's laying down, and he sees his spear up by his head, and he's like, while he's sleeping, I'm just going to grab this just in case. (laughs) He remembers like when he threw a spear at him, and so he grabs the spear, and he kind of wakes him up, and he's like, look, here's another opportunity. I could have killed you. I didn't. Both these times, Saul apologizes. The scriptures actually say that he wept. Saul wept. There was something that happened in his heart as David honored him. He was, you know, showing this honor to him when he really didn't deserve it. You know, David, you know, if if it was us, we probably would have taken him out if we had the opportunity. If we're watching a movie, we're screaming, take him out! Like, take him out. That's, That's all we want. But here David is like humble and he's honoring the man that's before him, that God's anointed and God protected David because of this. And Saul, again, he repents, but he does it again. He repents, and he does it again. Two different instances. The story continues on, and and Saul's uh, in in a battle with the Philistine army, and he gets shot with some, like, javelins or arrows or something. And he falls to his knees, and he knows that kind of his time's up, and he just falls on a sword and kills himself. That's the the life of Saul uh, and his relationship with David. And so what I want to stop, and and before we go to uh, 2 Samuel, stop and, and just look at what it looks like to have the heart of David and not the heart of Saul where we can honor those that have come before us. Because let me just be real about our generation. We live in a very entitled generation. We live in a very entitled generation in which we think everything is owed to us. We think that we don't have to work for anything, that we can move from this place to this place, but we don't have to walk the path. We don't have to work hard like our parents did, like the previous generation. We don't have to, to put in our time like everybody else did. We expect to move from here to here because we have a degree or because we have certain skills or because we understand computers better. We have the sense of entitlement because there's more information out there and it's more easily accessible that we go from this place and we, we don't know how to honor previous generation and those that are ahead of us. So I just want you to kind of translate this to your life right now, those that are over you either in the Lord or in business, uh, those that are uh, you know, in life, you know, a spiritual authority, whatever it might be. We've lost this sense of, of honor, to honor people. For those of you that have served in the military, honor is a big word. Like, that's used a lot. Like, you're honoring your country. You're, you honor those that are uh, in front of you, that lead you. But spiritually, I don't think it's talked about enough. I don't think we talk about this, that what it really means to, if you want to really honor God, honor those that, are, uh, that lead you. Honor those that have come before you. And that's what David does, and God protects him. Um, and that's the best way to, to honor God is to, to walk in the authority that he's given us here on this earth. Because here's the truth. We all want to, to, uh, to lead, but, but nobody wants to follow it. And if we look at the life of David, David was faithful when no one else was watching. He was out in the fields watching sheep 
practicing his guitar probably a little bit and working on his sling. He was be, he was becoming prepared for what God, what tests and giants God would have before him. And even though he ran from his for his life for many many years all over different countries, God protected him. Because he had a humble heart and he was willing to put in the time. He was willing to be faithful when no one else was watching. He was willing to slay uh, bears and lions when no one else watching, no one else heard about it. But he was becoming prepared for what God had ahead. A lot of us get, get super obsessed in, in, in kind of what happened in the past. Some of us think about the future, but very few of us know what it means to honor God in the very present moment, what it means to be faithful in the very present moment. We think about what God did back then. We think about what God's going to do then, but it's really tough to just rest right where we're at in this moment in life and say, God, you can use me now as much as you use so-and-so then, or you're going to use me here. God, you want to use me right now. And it may not be sexy. I may just be watching sheep for a little while. But, but God, I want to be faithful in watching sheep. God, I, I want to be faithful in, in, in slaying the lions when no one else is watching. I want to be faithful in, in taking out the bears when no one else cares or recognizes it. That faithfulness. And so what I speak to us, just as a generation and beyond all of our generations, is to let's continue to be teachable. Continue to honor those that, that have come before us because uh, that's how, how, how God does it. He blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. And he brings incredible favor. I feel like in some ways I, I'm, I'm a recipient of my parents' faithfulness just as much as I'm a recipient of my own faithfulness. That, that, that blessing carries on beyond your generation. Carries beyond our generation. And we see this in the life. So I want to encourage you, honor those that come before you. Honor those that, that, um, that are over you in the Lord or in business or in your home. Whatever it might look like. Show honor. Because God blesses that. God blesses that. So let's continue the story, and then we're going to kind of wrap up talking about discipleship and what this really looks like on a practical level. So the story continues, and, and we see um, uh, that David has a bunch of kids, a bunch of different women, a bunch of different wives, has a bunch of kids. David wasn't a perfect guy, uh, but God chose him, and he wanted to use him. Uh, he said he's a man after my own heart, even though uh, he was an adulterer, even though he uh, had some people killed because to cover up his own sins. He had a kind of his, his streak. Um, but at, at one point... Um, one of his uh, sons, Amnon, uh, finds uh, his, his daughter, who is his, um, I guess it's his uh, half-sister, um, one day, and he tries to seduce her and uh, get her to sleep with him. And uh, obviously one of the other brothers, his name's Absalom, he's not excited about this. He's like, we got to have a little talk. And instead of saying, um, let's have a little talk, he actually talked to some other people and said, we're going to kill him. <laughs> so it, was, it looked a little bit different. And so he ends up having some of his people like kill him after he's a little tipsy one night, and he takes him down. He kills his brother Amnon and uh, finds out David is mad. He's like, look, I don't care. Like the skirmishes, you're not going to kill my kids. Like we're not going to kill each other. This is not who we're going to become. So he's angry about this. He's angry at his son, and he takes off running. Absalom takes off running for a little while. So he starts thinking about it. He starts devising a plan to undercut his father. Because his father's angry at him and he has the power, he's worried that his father's going to kill him. But his father's not going to kill him. He doesn't want him dead. But he's afraid of that. So he begins, that fear that we talked about at the beginning of the series, begins to drive him to kind of throw this revolution, this revolt. And it becomes very successful. He kind of picks people of uh, David's trusted advisor. He kind of pulls them out. One of his like, most faithful advisors for a long time. David was king for 37 years um, at this point. 
37 years, and a trusted advisor that had been with him most of the way, um, he, he kind of picks him and kind of convinces him, and we'll read this, actually, no, I, I didn't put it up here, but basically, he, he goes and he's catching people at the gate as they come to the, like the, the king's palace, and you know, um, he, he's saying, look, I, I know, you, you know you want somebody to hear this, but nobody's going to listen to you, but I'll listen to you. In fact, he greeted them with kisses, and he loved on them, and basically, at the gate as they were coming, it would be like, to me, and as a pastor, it would be like, like a pastor like waiting out here in the parking lot, <laughs> or at, um, kind of at the uh, entrance, and being like, hey, they're not, they don't really care about you there, like, they're not really listening to you, you're not really in community, you're not really doing something for God. It'd be like that, and then, you know, taking them to, to start another church, some of you would probably probably seen stuff like that happen before. We won't talk about that. But to me, emotionally, that's what it would look like. And so this kind of same thing is taking place, and they throw, they overthrow David with just fear with people. And so David's like, look, I'm not going to have any part of this. And he takes off running again. His own son, his own son is overthrowing him at this point and, and has successfully kind of you know, had this revolt uh, rise. And so he goes on the run again, not against a, a King Saul, but this time against his own son. And, and there's a, a lot of history that happens in here where uh, one time they're in, in a battle, David's men, Absalom men, and, and David says to his trusted kind of military men that are leading out there, whatever you do, don't kill my son. Don't kill my son. I mean, just think about it as a, as a parent, if you're a parent in the room, just think, just don't kill my son. Like, just think about if this was your family issues that are happening, and you're like, whatever you do, just don't, don't kill my son. And so they go out, and uh, let me tell you a funny story before, before I close this story. Uh, one day I was out here, we had this cool riding lawnmower for the, for the church, it's one of these zero turns, and uh, I usually wear a bandana, uh, some I usually text me, I'm like, hey, saw you on the mower today, I'm like, yep, that was me, and um, so I was riding, there's this low-hanging branch over here one day, and I got my hair caught in it while I'm going on it, it's not funny, I'm telling you, that's not funny, it hurts so bad, I felt like I was getting scalped, because I was like, go, like I, it's fun, man, it's like a go-kart that cuts grass, and I was going up, and it caught my hair, and it, this branch, and it wrapped my hair as fast as I could, and it yanked, and I was headed towards that retention pond over there, and it yanked my hair, and I, I was scared, man, I, I, it, it took me for a second to like grasp myself, and I'm dealing with a heavy piece of equipment, I could be thrown off, who knows what it'll do, and rip me up or something, and so um, I ended up pulling it back and kind of have to, like, break the branch and then take it off. And uh, it was crazy. The same thing happened to Amnon, actually, or to Absalom. He was out. He was riding a donkey, and he gets his hair caught in a branch. Because he, like, if David was beautiful, his son was, like, even more beautiful. I mean, we know David's beautiful, the chiseled, you know, Michelangelo sculpture. Um, and they say Absalom was even more gorgeous and, and loved. People loved him. And, and one of his, like, most prideful things about him was his hair. And, like, I, I have, like, a decent amount of hair here, as you can tell. He, his hair, like, he cut it once a year, and it weighed five pounds at the end of the year. That's a lot for hair. <laughs> five pounds of hair that he would just cut off his head at the end of the year. And so that's how beautiful he was. And that's what he got caught in, um, in a branch. And he's hanging, literally, when... Um, uh, David's men come out. This guy named Joab sees him hanging in a tree by his hair, and he takes a javelin and throws it into a, his heart. Takes another one, throws it into his heart. Throws three dra- javelins into his heart, and kills David's son after he just said, "If you see my son, don't kill him. Don't kill him." And, and so he kills Absalom. And so there's a whole another story here about about Absalom trying to to rise up and overthrow his father. And so I can say this um, 
you know, to, to both generations. We need to have a David heart. We don't need to have a Saul heart where we're scared of the next generation. Don't, don't resent them because they're different or their style is different. Um, just invest in them. Make a choice to invest in them. Make it your life's calling to see them succeed. Psalm 71, 18 says this, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. This is David writing in the Psalms. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Even when I'm old and gray, don't forsake me, God. Till I declare your power. That was like David's heart's cry. We wonder why the Psalms are so beautifully written and why they speak to us in our times of hurting and distress. Because this dude got it. Like he had been there and he had done that. He had been chased for his life. His kids had been killed. They had killed each other. He got it, man. He went through pain. You know, we always talk about these, like, you know, um, these musicians and these artists that they're troubled, and that's how they create this beautiful art, and we see that in the life of David. He's this artist that could really just speak it like it is, but he makes this declaration, God, even when I'm old and gray, like, let me, let me have this heart to declare your power to the next generation. I believe that God's speaking this to us today across all generations is, is to declare to the next generation the power of God. You've seen God do things. You want to see God do things. And we just need to stop resenting the next generation, the ones that are coming along. Stop saying, forget about them. Somebody else will take care of that. I think sometimes we have this mentality that, oh, somebody else will do that. Well, what if they don't? Like, what if they don't? What if somebody else, you know, you think somebody else is going to take care of that? What if they don't? What if, like, God is, like, telling you because you saw it to love on that kid, to, to love on that person, to disciple them? And I remember where I was at as a really probably an 18-year-old kid, and, and I was like, I just wanted a mentor in my life, and I couldn't find one for the life of me that would invest in me like some time. Couldn't find that, and so I really just made it just a passion of mine because I didn't have it to just invest in young people, to invest in 18 to 22-year-old young men that I, I just say, you know, God's going to use you, and, and I started leading full-time ministry at, at 21, and so I know that God can use people at whatever age. David was used at a very young age. He was a teenager when God began to use him in incredible ways. And I'll even, even say to, um, so there's two things we need to grab a hold of today. Learn to honor the, the, the generation that's come before us. Honor those that are over us in the Lord. Learn to encourage those that are coming behind us. And make this our, our heart's cry, even when we're old and gray. God, don't, don't forsake me until I can declare your power to the next generation. Let me pass something on. You may not feel like you have a whole lot to pass on. But some of the biggest things that you can pass on is time is an ear to just listen to somebody, to love somebody, because we all have the same mission. It's to make disciples, and God is calling us. He's not just calling us, but he's calling you. He's calling me to make disciples. It's so easy, and it, and it frustrates me so much when we hide under an umbrella of ministry, but forget that we have personal ministry. God doesn't want to just use us. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. God has a calling for you, and, and you may feel like your tank is empty and you don't have anything to give, but I always give this example. It's like a well. Until you prime it, there will be no water. Until you prime it, there will be no water. That's an old school well, really old school reference, so just track with me there. Until you prime it, there will be no water, and when you begin to connect with your calling, with what God is doing, your purpose, then you can see some water begin to flow and bubble, and we can find ourselves just fulfilled in the purpose and calling that God's given us. I don't, 
I, I don't know where this is resonating with you, but I, I pray and hope that every single one of us will, will find it our life's calling to declare to the next generation. If you're 20, there's a 12-year-old that needs your ear. If you're 80, there's a 60-year-old, there's a 50-year-old that needs uh, your heart, that just needs you to be there. And let's show honor to the previous generation. Let's, let's encourage the next generation. Make it our life's goal to, to declare the power of God to the next generation. Don't have a Saul heart where we're afraid of, of the young whippersnapper who's you know, a teenager because he has victory. Let's celebrate that victory. Let's celebrate and encourage it. Don't be like Absalom when you see you know, someone uh, in the previous generation uh, uh, being successful. And, and just because things aren't going your way, don't try to throw a revolt. Don't try to undercut authority. But just honor. Honor those that have come before us and encourage those that come behind us. Let's be teachable. Let's be used of God. I'm going to ask for you to stand with me today. Just as a sign of, of, of saying yes to being used of, of God and I want to say a prayer that would just invite each of us into the discipleship role that we've, we're called to, to be in. And if you're in this room and, and you don't have someone that you're discipling, or you don't even know what that means, I challenge you to f- look through scripture this week, talk to a leader in this church, talk to me personally, and, and let's find out what that looks like. Let's think about those people that are in your circle or right around you that you can be pouring into that you can be pouring into, that you can be investing in this next generation. They're right in front of us. They may be sitting across the room. They may be sitting right next to you. Have someone mentor you. Have, make sure you're pouring out. You see what can happen with wisdom and knowledge and anointing and power and wisdom it, it, is that it can just be passed down and given on to the next generation. Let's, let's pray together today. God, I know that you're doing something inside of us. God, help us like David to have that heart of David to just be faithful in the little things when no one's watching. Help us to be faithful in the field and slay the the lions and bears when no one watches or recognizes us. God, help us to just honor those that come before us. Help us to encourage those that come behind us. Teach those that come behind us. God, forgive us today if we've forsaken our calling to disciple people if we've kind of lived under the umbrella of fathom or lived under the umbrella of another ministry, God, help us to embrace the personal calling you've given us to disciple people and point people to you. Help us to not make it too complicated. Help us to just listen and invest in those that are around us, God. We consecrate our lives, God, as David fell before the the face of Saul, God, so our hearts are bowed before you now. And we say, yes, God, use us in this place. Use us in the city. We thank you for this incredible opportunity for ministry that's all around us. Open our eyes, God. Open our eyes.